Welcome to In the Spotlight. This is a podcast brought to you by the Guild of HR Professionals in association with Lace Partners. Welcome to the In the Spotlight podcast. This is a podcast brought to you by the HR Guild in uh, partnership with Lace Partners. My name is Chris Howard. I'm the uh, marketing director at Lace Partners. And today I'm joined in the hot seat. It's Annette Andrews. Annette, who is our senior warden at the HR Guild. Uh, and we're joined by uh, Peter Cheese, who is the chief executive of the uh, CIPD. So hello, Annette. How are you doing? Hello. Good, thank you. And hello, Peter. How are you doing? Very well, thanks, Chris. So we're going to talk about, obviously, um, all things CIPD. And we're going to obviously reference, because uh, as, as as we're recording this podcast, uh, we're in the midst of uh, the lockdown. But then it's this kind of weird period where we all know something that is on the horizon to start. You know, there's going to be the new normal will begin to kick in as the government announces this phased lockdown. But what I wanted to do is just take, Annette and I just wanted to take a few moments of your time to talk through um, a few things that the CIPD are doing to help members, but also, you know, what does this new world look like? But before I go on, before we talk about that, perhaps you could just give us a little bit of background. I'm sure many people know who you are anyway, but just for the benefit of uh, of our uh, our listeners, if you can give yourself a little bit of, a, of an intro, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, so I've been the chief executive of the CIPD, which I'm sure, as you know, is the professional body for HR and people development for coming up for eight years. I think I'm in my eighth year, which is incredible when I think about it. But um, so that's been a, a, I mean, it's been a great joy. I mean, just having that role and that responsibility, but also seeing many of the things that have been going on around us, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, Prior to that, I've, I had uh, a very long career at Accenture. I spent 30 years there and ended up my last uh, eight to nine years running all of their global practice in all the people stuff, stuff everything mm-hmm. from leadership change management, organizational strategy, and of course, all that stuff around HR as a profession and a function. And I've always had a passion about people in, in work. I think I describe myself as a humanitarian. I've always been utterly intrigued by the, the confluence of people in work and technology and how all those things come together. And uh, I think in many ways, that's how I think of the HR profession today as well. So Peter, you and I have spoken at over years, actually, about how the role of HR and people has to be absolutely at the core of business. And I think this crisis has absolutely brought our profession to the fore moving forward. And I'd just like to take a moment to thank you and the CIPD for all of the thought leadership and tools that you've been providing. It's been brilliant. They've been excellent. And I know have been used far and wide. But if we could just focus down for today on well-being, you and I have spoken about how well-being was almost the silent benefit, but actually has now absolutely come to the fore and how it's taking off. I just wondered if you could share your thoughts on the transformation of well-being. Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to start, Annette. I absolutely agree. I mean, to me, and I think to most of us in the profession, we would acknowledge well-being as such a central outcome of work. 
and good work, and that, and that is a whole construct of itself. But but it hasn't always been seen like that. And I think, it, it, you know, as you said, the crisis has certainly brought to the fore, I think, so many more people's understanding of the absolute critical nature of their connection, their support to their people and their well-being. Physical, obviously, because of the health crisis, but also mental and, emo- and emotional. And I'm hearing it everywhere, how much this has been brought more to the center of the business agenda. But it's also, and I've talked about well-being for years, and if you go back even to the antecedents of the CIPD, it began as what was known as the Welfare Workers Association, so just over 100 years ago. And and as I've always said, they did what it said on the tin. And they were working for these organizations like Lever Brothers and Roundtrees and Cadbury's and so on, all of which are still here with us today. And they saw very much the centrality of this idea that work should be good for people. And if I look after my people, then they will support my business. They'll be productive and all of those other things. And I think in many ways, in a lot of intervening years, we forgot a lot of those things. And and you know, it's been really encouraging to see, even before the crisis, but I would say and over the last five or six years, a much more of an acceleration of the ideas of well-being, much more acceleration of the ideas of mental well-being and mental health as well. Because if we're honest, you know, we'd look at work over these last decade or two, and, and it's been increasingly stressful. It hasn't always been fair. We we talk about things like inclusion and all those other ideas. And fundamentally, to the to the heart of this point, if we are not supporting people's well-being, understanding that, promoting it and developing it, then we're not creating human-centered workplaces. And since somebody said to me not long ago, you really only have two things in business. You have money and you got people. Well, we spend a lot of time worrying about the money. We're going to make sure we're doing all we can to worry about the people as well. Yeah. And just thinking about how that's now at the core of the thinking, how do you think it's going to transform not only our function, but the people strategy? Yeah, I think there are going to be a lot of things about, as you said, people's strategy. I mean, all the way from how does this crisis make us think differently about our workplaces and working environments? How does it make us think differently about the kind of skills and capabilities that we need, including what we've got to develop much more strongly in all of our line managers and people managers in terms of their ability to manage people, to understand their well-being, to manage people in all these different circumstances and flexible working. So I think it, it is calling out a lot of things. And you know, we, we've debated, as you know, Annette, uh, a lot in the past about HR's strategic positioning. And what I'm hearing again from HRD is a great deal now is that they've never felt more at the center of the debate. Now that has mm. its pros and cons as well as a lot of pressure. But but there's no doubt there is a really, really strong sense of that. And that means that yeah, we are being called on to act both tactically and operationally, because a lot of things we have to sort out, but also to think strategically. And that is so important because throughout this crisis, I think we all all recognize that it's very easy to jump to some very tactical solutions and not really understanding the long-term consequence. So I think, you know, this this does create that opportunity, which, um, and, and again, so many people are saying this, to see HR really positioned at the very center of business thinking, uh, about all these ideas of people being central to the business agenda. But it also puts you know, more demand on us that we can step up, that we understand what 
strategic thinking is in the context of business, strategic workforce planning and all those sorts of ideas. But but as I said, we, we've talked about these for a long time and I think this is exciting. You know, I mean, and that's not to be crass about what is, it's very hard, a real human tragedy about health crisis, but, it, but I think it can drive a lot of positive change, which we've needed for a long time. And I think we as a profession got to grab in many ways that opportunity and to help to lead for that more positive future. It's quite a it's quite a crucial time at the moment, isn't it? Because so we've been speaking to quite a lot of HRDs, and we've run a few webinars ourselves at Lace Partners. And one month ago, so beginning of April, we're running webinars which are focused on you know the crisis management. How are you going to? Uh, what are you going to do about your emergency? You know, workforce planning, things like that. Whereas now it's shifted in sh- such a short period of time. And when we ran a webinar, which was uh, well, it'd be two weeks ago at the time of recording, 90% of the, the senior HR professionals on that call said they hadn't really prepared for that transition. Mm-hmm. So like you said, Peter, it's quite an exciting time, but also it's a critical time because the HR director in any business is going to need to be going to the exec team and saying, guys, we need to make out, we need to get this this planning this this next few weeks few months sorted now so the exec teams in big big companies everywhere and and well, companies of all sizes are going to need to start listening to that hr director and listening to them now aren't they yeah no, no absolutely chris and um yeah the, the, you're right we're now moving into this sort of next phase of thinking about some forms of easing of restrictions which may allow us to come back to workplaces and things of that nature. But there are so many questions caught up in all of that. And again, it's being able to think about it both from an operational perspective, but also a strategic perspective. I mean, the strategic perspective being things like, what are we going to take forward as the big learnings? Um, How and in what ways do we create these much more flexible ways of working, which I have long believed were important, we are still caught or have been caught in paradigms of work that frankly emerged in pretty much the industrial revolution. Uh, and, and that's driven things like presenteeism and even all the way up to ideas that people talk about now, like these crazy commutes that everybody has and all the immense pressure it creates. So that, that But that is really strategic thinking. How do you take those learnings and really adapt your organization in very different ways, be far more supportive of people in the choice of when and where and how they work? So those are the sorts of questions which emerge. And as we're all acknowledging, I mean, that, that that's an opportunity, but it puts pressure on us to step up. We've got to have good insight and good analysis. You know, we, the old adage of does HR always speak the language of business? And I often said, you know, so much of the language of business is language of numbers. So, and that's still true. You've got to, be able to do the cost benefit analysis, understand the implications of all these things. But, but that is the need. And I think it is also the opportunity for our profession as we look, as we now look ahead from where we are. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a changing role, Peter, for the HR profession as we move forward, and it's going to be much more at the heart of business and strategic. We've not been always very good, though, at developing ourselves. We're great at looking after people, um, businesses, but not necessarily ourselves. What do you think the CIPD and the HR Guild can do to ensure that we're helping our profession almost preempt those changes and plan for it? Yeah, that's a terrific question, Annette, and I'm very fond of saying, and I said it many times in public forums, that exactly to your point, that HR has been the cobbler's children. 
Yeah, we, we've worried as we shared, of course, about the development of other people's skills and capabilities, leadership and all those other things. But we have not historically invested enough in ourselves. And and we really do need to to step that up. And 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 but doing it in a positive way. I mean it's it's recognizing first and foremost that HR is a profession. And being a professional means that we are investing in ourselves. We are holding our ourselves to account for some of those, of those things. And of course, we are feeling that we are part of a wider community of a profession, which is represented by the CIPD, but also the HR Guild. And, and those are things which I think can help anchor us. And particularly now, I mean, one of the things that we've seen, and I know the Guild has as well, is that because HR is under so much pressure, there is a, there's a, I mean, I think we've always been pretty good at sort of connecting and sharing, but it's really emphasized the value that people get by connecting and sharing and learning from each other. Even mm. if it's just a sort of cathartic, oh my goodness, you go through the same stuff as I am, how do you deal with it? But I think with these are the things we've got to build on. And absolutely core to your point is that if, if we understand the demands in the profession, we understand what we've got to do to build our skills and capabilities, that we see that as part of what it means to be a professional, and that we drive that just as hard as we're trying to understand and drive the capabilities across our organizations as well. And, and absolutely, the Guild has a role to play in that in terms of connecting senior people. The CIPD, obviously, very much at our core in terms of how we regard you know, membership and, and all of the things that means, how we regard continuous professional development and how we support that and how we create very different mechanisms and channels to do these things, I think, you know, better in the future, which we, which we clearly have to as well. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the the role of these professional bodies is an important one for individuals. Uh, you know, we're talking a lot. Annette and I went on a podcast. We did a podcast together a couple of weeks ago. And Annette, you were talking about well-being. And we talked about this idea of, you know, the flexing of benefits. Do you remember we had a conversation around maybe it's no longer going to be the business that just hands you a handbook and says, there you go, and all of your benefits are in there and you can check them out if you like. It's about flexing to the individual. And I think obviously where HR professionals get that support is obviously from you guys at the CIPD. So can you just give us, because I know you've done a video this morning that's just been released, well, at the time of us recording. Um, can you just give us a flavor as to some of the support activities that you guys are doing at, at the CIPD to help um, individuals, I guess, get through this uh, this process? Yeah, I mean, as, as uh, and I kind of observed, I think we, we've done a lot. I mean, we we absolutely, and I very much recognize you know, the responsibility in many ways as the professional body to help the profession in, in its most challenging time. I mean, I think we can say that unequivocally. It's the most challenging time we've ever had as a profession. And, and so I do see our responsibility as the professional body to help the profession in this time. So, yeah, I'm, I think we have, as, as I said, we've had a lot of very positive feedback and everything from all the guidance we've been providing on the Coronavirus Hub on our websites, uh, all the webinars, the podcasts, the additional learning and all these sorts of things. And of course, alongside that, which is another very important part of what I regard as what we should do to be supporting the profession is our advocacy and our challenge to government and policy. So we've been very engaged with government across all the major departments on many aspects of how organizations need to respond. And interestingly, that level of connection with government is accelerating now as we begin to think about the post-crisis world. And you know whether it's things like core skills and essential skills that people need, if we're going to see a bit of a redistribution of work across different sectors of the economy, then what is it that we can do to support people in understanding their transferable skills? What additional training can be provided? What are the benefit and support mechanisms to support people in those sorts of transitions? And a whole host of other things. So 
those are all things that we've we've always done in the past and we've always recognized our role in supporting the profession but also supporting the profession to have a strong voice mm-hmm. um as a profession but also particularly into things like government policy guidance and advice and so those are all things that we've stepped up stepped up on um i as i said i felt we had a responsibility to do that um we haven't got it all right nobody ever could but i think we've got hopefully more right than we have and uh, and and we will keep doing these things because you know we've all emphasized already that there are lots of things we can learn from the crisis as a profession believe me there are a lot of things we're learning as the cipd as well and the final point i make is that we've already been investing for some time on digitizing the business because we we know and we knew and we have known for some time that the world was shifting more to the ability to learn yeah at my point of need in lots of different channels and lots of different ways and bite-sized ways but also how you do online and digital learning really well so peer connections and all those other ideas so we've been steadily working on that we've had you know the digital qualifications that we've been in market for two or three years now all the way through to things like MOOCs so the massive open online courses that we run with uh, platforms like FutureLearn, but now you know, a big investment program we've been running over the last year, and actually can see the need to accelerate because of the crisis, which is to create much more integral learning community connection platforms to support all of the membership and indeed beyond. Because you know the the other point of recognizing for all of us is that the things we're talking about as the profession are also vital for business leaders and they're vital for line managers as well. So mm. how we share, and indeed through the guild as well, Annette, I would say that the opportunity to connect what we do as a profession and being the experts in many of these things with line managers, business leaders, and all besides that, we can see that through the CIPD lens. I think we could see it through the guild lens as well. Mm. Peter, you and I were talking the other day about some of the things that we've seen opportunities presented by this for our profession and how the CIPD and Guild can work together. Mm. But you and I were sharing some things we don't want to lose from this experience, things that we've, it's almost been a, um, quite. it's quite deep, but it's quite a checkpoint for us as individuals and organisations and humanity as well. So for you personally, what are the, the things you hope we learn from all of this and take with us as we go through that period of transformation? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you used a word there, which is really important. I think I mentioned it in, even in my own introduction, this idea of humanity. So humanity at work, we're all, you know, the language we've used too much in the past because actually it probably reflected too much of our thinking, but things like people are our most important assets or human resources or human capital and all this kind of stuff. I, I think the most profound learning out of all of this really should be that greater strength and sense of humanity at work, of compassion, and all those sorts of ideas and how we connect as human beings. Because as we, we said when we were talking about well-being, if we support those things, then we know those are the things which drive loyalty and engagement and support and, and ultimately cost productivity. So they are very connectable uh, to the sort of hard business outcomes, if you will. So I think the, the most profound thing is we really do take on board that idea that work, you know, good work should be good for us. And if it's good for us, it'll be good for the outcomes of the business as well. Um, that we see humanity as very central to our thinking and understanding of everything that we do. That we encourage our managers to think in those terms as well. So their compassion, their support for their people, um, as well as, of course, being able to challenge them and all the other things that we know we need to do. So it's not just a creative world where maybe you can say anything you know, uh, that might be construed as slightly negative. We have to have that as well, but set into a context of 
you know, this this real humanity at work. And I think those are the outcomes. I think also linked to it, and if I think about it for me personally, it is this more flexible nature of work. As I said, I mean, we we have to shift the paradigm of work where it has been so much driven by, I, I don't know what you're doing, and I'm not sure, you know, people talk about you're either you're, you're working from home or you're shirking from home and all that kind of nonsense. Mm. And that that's the paradigm. That's a very, very important paradigm in the future work that has to shift and will be very profound. And for me personally, I, I see it as well. I mean, I've never worked so much from home before. And yes, of course, it, there, there are some challenges with it, but we've learned to adapt. And I'm not suggesting that I or many of us will all therefore forevermore work from home. But it's just knowing that we can work in these different ways. We need to lead by example to show that we can do these things for ourselves and that we can also you know, de-stress as a result of some of that. And we feed that through our organizations. And those, are, those I think, are the really, really big outcomes, but they're all founded on this idea of humanity at work. Yeah. I think, so we talk about this, uh, this concept of cultural congruence, at least, um, this idea that, you know, there are a lot of people who have been put into this position and they are taking a long look at themselves and their own lives, but actually they're taking a look at the businesses that they work in as well. And I do feel like maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, you almost have organizations have values and it just seems like it's something to put in a handbook or to put on a wall. And I think that what's happening out of this, and it goes back to your point of the, almost the be more human side of it, Peter, is and the compassion for people is people are going to look at their organizations, at the businesses they work for and saying, how much compassion did you show? Are you a business that I actually want to work for? And that's going to, it's going to be good for some companies who have embraced this, but at the other end of the spectrum, those companies that haven't embraced this, you know, their own employer brand is probably going to take a little bit of a battering, I would have thought. Yeah, I absolutely agree with all that, Chris. I mean, I think, you know, this crisis has taught us everybody a lot of things, but I think uh, people's tolerance for unfair practices, for organizations not being open and transparent about what they're doing and why they're doing it, about how they really are encouraging things like well-being, so fundamental. So just amplified you know, that at, at, at a higher order, which is corporate governance. And you know, Annette, you worked in a highly regulated industry. Uh, you know, we really can shift the dial on this stuff as well, can't we? Which is this idea, I mean, people talk about multi-stakeholder capitalism, all those sorts of notions. But but this is the other way to drive some of this stuff is that we actually should and will demand more of businesses. What a responsible business is, which at its heart has to be how it treats its employees, as well as, of course, the other stakeholders, customers, suppliers, the communities of which businesses are part. And let's not forget environment. And those are the, those are the core stakeholders of any business alongside the financial stakeholder. And I think at the highest levels, there's an opportunity to shift which has already been called for before the crisis, this idea of what is good corporate governance, what should we expect of businesses and how they understand all of their stakeholders and how they treat them, how do they become more transparent? Because to your point, Chris, people's tolerance for working in organizations where they think they're not being treated fairly, where they don't believe that, that management has their interests at heart as well as the interests of the business, that they're not being properly supported, that inclusion somehow has got dropped off the agenda because people say, oh, well, by the way, I've got time for that. There is no tolerance. There never should have been tolerance to that stuff. And I think there will be far less coming out of this crisis. So that calls out these bigger ideas of corporate governance and what, what I would regard as fundamentally the absolute heart of what is responsible business. 
And that is a, an agenda which is says me steadily growing. Yeah, I mean, Annette, as you know, a lot of changes to the corporate codes and compliance mm. regulatory requirements are already pushing in that direction. And I think this crisis will do nothing other than, I think, accelerate that. But again, we need to be, I, I believe, as a profession, helping to lead those kinds of changes. Mm. No, I agree. And I think it will also change the way we look at those and the emphasis that's placed on, as you said, the values. But the tr- there's a key word about trust there. Yeah. Yes. Well, which isn't just about the customer, it's about the employer-employee relationship as well moving forward. It, it is, and, and as Chris touched on, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing, and this is a, honestly is a way to a lot of business leaders' hearts, if they're a bit sceptical, is this is about their reputation and their brand. So you're right, it's, it's all the way from things like if you have values which just sit up on a wall and nobody pays any attention to that, which again, we've debated a lot haven't we, in recent years, then that's got to shift. And of course, if I'm saying, and interestingly, I've been quite a student of corporate cultures and values for many years, you know that integrity is the most common value statement, which is curious at some levels. You think, do I even need to spell it out? But okay, let's just go with it. Well, integrity says that you are acting according to your beliefs and your state of values and these other things. That is being put to great test in a very challenging time. I mean, it always is. I mean, if, if your revenue falls off a cliff and, you, and you're, you're worried about the spire of your business, of course you're going to take some pretty short-term actions. But the real test is can you take those in line with your strategic and core values? And can you show that even though you're going through those very difficult times, you're treating people with respect and fairly and you're communicating with them and all those other things that we call out on our values. So, yeah, I think it's it, these it's connecting those ideas also, as I said, to those higher order thinking of what's good corporate governance, what is responsible business, and therefore what healthy culture is based on understanding and living our, living our key values. And they're all important. Yeah, agreed. Peter, very aware of your time and you've got other demands on you today. (laughs) Are there any closing thoughts you'd like to share with us before we thank you for your time? Well, no, thanks, Annette, and and thanks, Chris. I mean, these are all great conversations. And as I said, I think we were having many of these conversations leading up into the crisis, but we have a real opportunity to shift the dial. I see that it is a catalyst in lots of ways uh, for how we think about business, how we think of people at work, what we regard as a responsible business, what we regard as good work and all those ideas and humanity and compassion. Those are, those are opportunities. But as we've also shared on this call, it says, yeah, we've got to step up a business profession. We've got to invest mm. more in ourselves. We've got to connect and community connection and being parts of community so that we're all stronger in this together. I think it's absolutely vital. And let's not forget that you know, whilst you know, a lot of our experiences between the three of us is often in big corporates, the majority of people work, two-thirds of the people work in small enterprises, 250 or less. And many of those organizations have much more limited HR resources and capability. And we need to be helping them as well, whether it's the yeah. business leaders or the HR teams. And that is a very important part of all of this debate as well. And I think both as the CIPD and as the Guild, those are things that we need to think about very clearly going forwards. And I think this crisis has really highlighted the smaller organisations. Yeah. What support they do do need in times. Mm-hmm. Of- yeah, and they and they really do. And uh, it, it's it is tough, and particularly when many of those small businesses are literally looking at survival. Mm. And how do you, as I said, you you still want to encourage them to do things in the right way, even if they're having to make redundancies. How do you communicate that? How do you make sure it's as fair as it can be? How do you support people? And and these are really tough calls, and and therefore 
our ability as a community to support others in our profession who may be you know, much more exposed and so far more limited resources to call on. That to me is another part of being part of a professional community is that we're able to help and support and guide each other. And of course that, you know, probably a good place to close is part of why you're doing these podcasts is that we can all share and we can all learn from each other and we strengthen the community by doing that and we strengthen our profession by doing that as well. Absolutely. Brilliant. Peter, thank you very, very much for your time today. Do appreciate that. And Annette, thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, It's been really, really good chatting to you guys. Um, We'll have lots more of these podcasts. I'm sure we'll get Peter on for another HR Guild podcast in the future. Maybe when all of the Corona stuff is uh, is done, we can maybe actually sit in a room together at some stage and and run a podcast, Annette and Peter, who knows. But uh, thanks very much for joining us on this uh, this In the Spotlight podcast brought to you by the uh, HR Guild. 